Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Hi, I am with uh, Mark Brackett uh, in the context of uh, the International Conference uh, for Education and Innovation. Mark, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you. So your subject is uh, uh, emotional intelligence. How did you get involved with this? Well, that's you know that's a long story, but um, we have time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know the real reason I got involved in this work was that I was a very unhappy child. Um, I had a lot of um, abuse in my childhood. I also was bullied badly in uh, in school, and um, I had all these feelings that I didn't know what to do with. And uh, I was lucky that I had an uncle who was a teacher, but also a musician. And um, he was the adult who, I argue, gave me the permission to feel, which is the title of my new book, meaning that he provided me the opportunity to share what was happening, and he didn't judge me, and um, he offered me solutions. So I think as a teenager suffering, um, having an adult who cared about how I felt and who offered me strategies was the opening that there might be this thing to study and to teach called emotional intelligence. And uh, do you have some numbers of uh, or idea of the number of children that are in the situation that you were when you were a child? Well, what we know from research is about a third of all children um, are bullied in our nation's schools. And uh, so that's a lot. You know, one third of all children, and it goes from twenty percent to seventy percent, depending on the circumstances and the environment. But um, you know, the the challenge, the challenge with bullying, is that about seventy percent of it goes undetected by the adults in the environment, because kids are very good, you know, at hiding, you know, and doing things secretly. Um, but still, it's a tremendous amount of kids that. Um, are being bullied. And now I think it's even different because of technology, meaning that, you know, when kids were making fun of me on the bus or on the playground, that's one thing, very painful. But now when you're being bullied um, and someone puts something on Instagram or whatever social media platform it is, all of a sudden the entire school knows about it. So um, it's a different space as well. Sometimes even the entire city or the world, no, it, it can be. Yeah, it uh, can go viral very quickly, um, which means that no longer is it just about your relationship with one person, but it's about how you feel and how you integrate into an entire community. And of those cases that get detected, uh, do you have some data that shows how many of those are uh, actually um, treated, let's say, properly in the schools? Well, unfortunately, schools like quick fixes, right? So they buy programs for bullying prevention that, you know, create rules for the environment. But rules are never going to change the way people believe, right? They're not going to help shift the culture and climate of an organization. They're not going to teach people skills. So really, that's my whole career has been really thinking through what do schools need to do to support healthy children's development, meaning... What do the adults need to know? Uh, what do they need to be able to do to support children's healthy development? And then what do we have to teach children um, in order to prevent these problems from the first place? And what have you found in your research that works? 
So it's a complex model. It means that you have to start as early as possible and you have to keep going because life changes and children's development changes over time. There are four kind of pieces to a ruler, which is the name of the approach that we have built over the last 20 years. Um, the first is mindsets, right? Do people believe that how children feel matters? And the truth is, um, not everybody really cares about how kids feel. Uh, even if you think about it in the medical space, it wasn't... You're talking about adults. Uh, yeah, adults, right? Because mm-hmm. adults are raising kids, right? Children have the fundamental right to be safe in a school or a home. That's their right for being alive in this world. Um, interestingly enough, you know, if you look at data, um, you know, people were performing surgery on children without giving them anesthesia until the middle of the last century. No, they didn't believe their pain systems were as developed as adults, which is obviously crazy. Um, so we have to shift our belief systems about children um, and about ourselves too. Like that how I feel matters. You know, I'm a guy. Um, I'm not a tough guy like my father wanted me to be. But, um, you know, I, when I speak my about my childhood oftentimes and my pain um, and my bullying, I have males who say to me things like, I would never even tell my own child that I had bullying like you had because my child would think I am weak. Mm-hmm. So do you see, that's a belief system. That means that Feeling fear or anxiety or shame makes you lesser than. Um, and so we have to eradicate that belief system because it's just not true. We're human beings who experience emotions and all emotions matter. Um, and if we have beliefs that you know men can't feel fear or shame or anxiety um, and only anger, um, we're not going to have a healthy society, nor parents who are able to raise children who are healthy. The second is that we have to develop the skills. So we've uh, created an acronym that we use called RULER, which stands for the skills of emotional intelligence. The first is recognizing emotions. So we're in this interview right now, and I'm looking at your facial expression, your body language, and listening to your tone of voice, and I'm trying to make meaning out of it, right? Are you interested in what I'm saying? Are you judging what I'm saying? You know, are we having a good time, a bad time? That's part of life, right? You're doing that all the time. You're making meaning out of your interactions. And do we teach people how to do that accurately? Are we self-aware of how, like, how am I feeling right now? Am I anxious? Am I comfortable? Am I overwhelmed? Am I apprehensive? What is the feeling that I'm having right now? Do I know why I'm having those feelings? Do I know why you're having those feelings? Do I understand feelings? So what I find in my research is that people are not very skilled and even labeling their feelings. So they can't tell the difference between anger and disappointment, for example. I say, what's the difference? I'm going to ask you now, putting you on the spot. Yes. What's the difference between anger and disappointment? Uh, disappointment is like when you feel frustrated and anger is when uh, you want to, um, maybe uh, some, some violence in that feeling, I will say. Okay. How confident are you? Uh, right now? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, English is not my yeah. uh, language, so I'm not very confident. I'm, uh, I'm more confident when I speak Spanish. <laughs> I, well, how about in Spanish? So, well, what the word for disappointment in Spanish is? Uh, disappointment is uh, decepción. Decepción. Ira. Ira, sí. Enojado. Ira is a much stronger feeling in terms of, you know, uh, uh, expressing all your fear with violence, I would mm-hmm. say. 
Yeah, so these are like like the way we think about feelings. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the definitions of mm-hmm. emotions, like deception, mm-hmm. right, or disappointment mm-hmm. is about unmet expectations. Mm-hmm. I thought in high school I was going to get an A. Mm-hmm. I got a C or not a good grade. Everything was legitimate though. Like I knew what I had to study. I just didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do. Anger or ira, right, is about a perception of injustice or unfairness, right? So how could you say that to me? How could you do that? That's not fair. So they're very different feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, again, what we find is that people have not been taught this. They really haven't been taught to differentiate, you know, disappointment from anger or anxiety from fear. Um, and what we say is that you have to name it to tame it. Right, you have to label it because by labeling your feelings, right, it gives you access to a way of thinking about it that will help you regulate it effectively. So we've gotten to the R, the U, and the L of emotional intelligence. The last two is expressing and regulating emotions. Mm-hmm. So this is where culture comes into play, sure. right? In Mexico versus Connecticut, where I live in the United States, the rules are probably different around talking about feelings, mm-hmm. right? Like my brothers, even I have two older brothers. They think I'm a weirdo because um, they're like, you're so open about your feelings and you share so much about your childhood. And, um, you know, it's funny because I had my brothers come hear me speak once at a conference. And after the conference was over, they're like, don't walk out with us. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, we don't want people to know you're our brother. I'm like, what? (laughs) They said, you're so vulnerable. And, you know, it's like, that's not cool. People shouldn't know that about you. Again, that's the attitude, but it's also influencing, you know, how much do you talk about your feelings? Do you let your child know? Do you let your husband, your wife, who you've been with for 5, 10, 15, 25 years, really know how you're feeling? Mm -hmm. And we find most people are afraid to actually be honest and truthful about how they feel Mm -hmm. because they're afraid of the reaction. Mm -hmm. What if I say something that, you know... Or to be labeled um, sometimes. Exactly. Because people put labels on you. Exactly. Uh, you'll, my brothers put a label on me. They said, Mark, people are going to think you're weak. And I remember telling my brother, well, in my department, we call that projection, right? I'm actually doing just fine. <laughs> um, but maybe you think you'd be weak if you talked about your feelings. But I think you'd actually be a little healthier. <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast. Um, and then the final skill is emotion regulation, right? So what are the underlying strategies you know, that I use, that you use, that we teach others to use to help us manage those emotions effectively. And this is the hard one because it's, it's difficult to regulate, right? Have you ever um, had a difficult time managing an emotion? Sure. Yeah, like you're frustrated with something and you can't take it or you're angry at mm-hmm. um, a family member. And you even say to yourself sometimes, like, Mark, I even do this. And I'm like an expert in this space, right? It's my whole career. Mm -hmm. And I'm at home with my family. I'm like, Mark, use your strategies. And then it's like, not tonight. (laughs) I sleep alone those evenings. But, um, you know, this is what's hard, right? It's hard to regulate because if we're tired, if we're hungry, if we're stressed out at work, Right, our fuse is shorter. Sleep deprived. Sleep deprived. We want immediate gratification. We just want to be right. We don't want to deal with the world. And when things don't go the way we want them to go, we overreact. So 
this is a hard work. Um, so like I've been saying, first is getting people to believe that feelings are important and they matter. The second is developing those underlying skills. There's still more though. The third is that we have to think about the climate and the culture of our organizations. So the best example I have is my own childhood. When I disclosed what was happening to me and all the pain I was going through, my father didn't know what to do. My mother was very anxious about the whole thing and freaked out. And so they put me in therapy, which was actually the best thing they could have done because they didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness they knew, we can't deal with this. Let's put Mark in therapy to see a psychologist. But the problem was, is that I went back to my home life where my father just really didn't deal well with his feelings and nor did my mother. And I went back to a school that was toxic. I went to a very tough school where I was bullied a lot. So pulling someone out of an environment and giving them some help, but putting them back into a toxic environment is not going to help, right? So we have to focus on the communities. So at an organization like Prepa Tech, it's about the deans, it's about the teachers, it's about the support staff, it's about the students, and it's about the families too, because the families are putting pressure on children. So how do we create emotionally intelligent communities is something I'm very interested in. And then finally, the policies and the practices. So when a child misbehaves in class, like what happens? Um, when there's bullying, what happens? When a student is caught cheating, what happens? And are the things that happens when those things occur informed by the principles of emotional intelligence? So that's the work we try to do in schools and in companies. And uh, do you have an, an example of um, uh, schools where do you have applied uh, your methodology ruler and, and, the, and the change that has happened in those schools? Yeah, so what research shows is that when schools do this work with quality and high implementation fidelity, I mean, they really do it, And we see shifts in students' um, academics. We see decreases in student anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. increases in their leadership skills. For teachers, we show that there's less burnout, greater job satisfaction. And for schools, we see just the environment feels more positive and there's less bullying. So pretty good outcomes that we've seen thus far and we continue to evaluate Ruler in different schools. So if someone is hearing this talk and uh, um, has a problem with his child uh, or her child and uh, is not in an environment where uh, these, the school is not applying one of these mm -hmm. techniques, as a mother, as a father, as a parent, what can I do? Uh, yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons why I wrote a book because I, I realized that not everybody is going to adopt ruler Right, as a program. So I wrote this book this year called Permission to Feel, um, which is available. But, um, you know, in a nutshell, I think for families, the first step is be the role model, right, as the parent. So test your own emotion vocabulary. Do you know the difference between anger and disappointment as a parent? Are you comfortable expressing all emotions as a parent? And are you modeling effective emotion management for your child? Are you using healthy strategies to regulate your own feelings? And 
that's the question that I think parents have to ask themselves. Am I being a role model for my child? The second is that we have to acknowledge that our children's emotions are important and that we're not going to be judges of those feelings. We're going to be scientists for our kids instead of judges. So I talk a lot about this in my book, that there are parents and people who are emotion scientists versus those who are emotion judges, right? The scientist is open to emotions, is curious, asks good questions. The judge is the teller of someone how they're feeling, right? They don't really care about feelings. They just say everything's good or bad. Um, When they don't regulate well, they just say, this is who I am, get over it. Whereas the emotion scientist says, oh, I didn't do such a good job today. I need to ask better questions. I need to use better strategies. So first is be the role model. Second, become a scientist, not a judge. And the third is, you know, you have to work with your child to help them, A, understand their feelings, and then regulate them effectively. And that's a process that will go throughout life because the struggles that I had transitioning from preschool to kindergarten are different than the struggles I had when I was transitioning from elementary school to middle school or high school to college to life, right? I'm 50 years old now, and you think I've practiced enough to be proficient. And the truth is, life is filled with unexpected experiences, You know, I didn't expect to have a a center at Yale University with 60 full-time staff. Like, that's that's hard work, you know, and people who don't always agree with you. And you've got to deal with difficult personalities and you've got to deal with being overwhelmed. So um, I think the last thing that people have to acknowledge with this work is that it is life's work. It's not like math and science or other subject areas. So like I will always know from when I was in third grade maybe how to count my change at the grocery store. Right? Or I go to the coffee shop and I buy my cappuccino. It costs $3.50. I give them a $5 bill. I get my $1.50 back. You know, that's I'm never going to not know how to do that anymore. Like that's been I've been taught it. I understand it. But as you might um, see is that like some days I deal well with my stress, other days I don't do so well. Some days someone digs me and I say, oh, whatever. Other days they say one little thing and I'm activated and I want to, you know, like rip their head off. <laughs> um, so the emotion system is just more complex than the cognitive system, which means that we have to give it a little bit more attention in trying to develop it. When, when I hear what, what you say sounds I would say pretty logic. It's not easy to come out with that framework. When uh, I think of myself applying that framework, I say, oof. Uh, so um, the first one was uh, uh, being a role model. Right. And how do I know if I am a role model? It's, uh, I, I'm, uh, I don't consider myself a role model for, mm-hmm. for anything like that. And, uh, and then it's, a, it's sort of a continuum all the time. You have to be... Uh, working on that, or uh, you need maybe to go therapy, or what's what's? Uh... Well, I think it's important to distinguish like clinical therapy from developing emotional intelligence. Okay, right? Because a lot of people think this is clinical work, and it's not. It's life's work. Right? 
as you try to achieve your goals in life, you get frustrated, you get overwhelmed, you get tired, you get anxious. You're in a relationship, things go well some days, things don't go well other days. Um, that's life. You don't need, uh, hopefully. And that's okay. It's okay. You just need to learn the skills on how to deal with life. Mm. And we're not teaching that right now in our schools. Okay. We don't really provide an emotion education, right? We provide we, we, math, science, literature, social studies, whatever. We take it, it for granted. Like people come with those skills from Exactly. Health. And the truth is, they're not learned through, they're learned informally. Unfortunately, many people are not good at it. So we learn informally how to do the bad things. I mean, let's face it. You know, my mother, God bless her, she was a lovely woman and she meant well, but she did not know how to deal with her emotions. You know, she was very anxious. I remember when I was being bullied, she'd say things like, oh my goodness, honey, I can't believe you're being bullied. Don't tell me everything. I'll have a breakdown. Mm -hmm. And I would be saying things like, well, I'm having the breakdown. <laughs> and then my father, who was, you know, a very tough guy, he'd say, son, you toughen up. That's not teaching skills, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's telling a kid who's not really a tough guy, who might not ever be a tough guy, mm -hmm. not to talk about your feelings. Probably they were producing just behavior they learned. That's it. My father was a tough guy, you know, he grew up in very poor in New York City, and maybe he learned to be a tough guy to survive. Um But you can't make someone a tough guy. Right? I don't even know what that even means anymore. And um, so you're right. Uh, your, your question is a good one because how do you know you're being a role model is tricky, which means you have to know what it is first. So you've got to be the knower, the learner first. Um, and once you learn the content, then you can be self-evaluative right? around how skilled am I at this. But what we find is that people just don't even know what it is. Like, the truth is, even when I went for therapy, I talked a lot about my feelings, sort of. I talked a lot about my relationship with my mother, too much probably. <laughs> um, but I never learned skills. I never actually learned how to manage mm -hmm. my emotions. That when someone said something mean or cruel to me, how do I think about that in a way that doesn't make me feel bad about myself? And I feel strongly that that is not therapy. That is just everyday life skills development that we need to do in five-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds and up until, you know, old age. Because honestly, I've met many people who live in senior citizen homes and they're 85 and 90 years old and they didn't realize that they were going to be alive when so many of their friends died. And, you know, they have to have a whole new life in this home and dealing with meeting new people, you know, making new friendships and eating dinner with strangers. And so again, we're never going to not be without the need to be learning about emotional intelligence. Okay. Very, very interesting approach of this um, set of tools that you can apply is not is. It's practical, it's uh, abstract stuff, practical stuff that you can It apply. sounds abstract because we're not, when it's not been mm -hmm. formalized, mm -hmm. right? But once you, like, I always, when I do my leadership training, the one thing that I always find remarkable at the end, I ask people, um, you know, what did you think? And then one of the number one responses is, I gosh, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. right? I didn't know what I didn't know because they just haven't been exposed to the language of emotional intelligence previously. And um, once they hear it, it all makes sense. But they're starting at whatever age mm -hmm. 
Even if my guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if um, uh, someone from a school is hearing this uh, um, uh, leadership from a school and they want to implement this, what's, uh, what's the way to go? You can tell an example of uh, Prepatech or whatever, yeah. an abstract one. What, what should we do? Um, so Ruler is a model. Um, it's a trainer of the trainer model, meaning that we work with every school to develop a team who are the ruler experts, and they do the implementation there. And um, they can go to our website, which is just rulerapproach, R-U-L-E-R-A-P-P-R-O-A-C-H.org to learn more about ruler, or my own website, which is just markbracket.com. And um, it's Mark with a C, just to put that out there, that uh, bracket. Um, and uh, they go through the training. And we feel, and we've now trained, um, I guess it's all 37 uh, prepa techs here in Mexico. Um, I should say what our research is showing, which is interesting, which is also aligned with our model, is that by focusing on the adults first, right, you get the greatest impact. That year one of doing ruler is not teaching a curriculum in the classroom. It's the school thinking about how do we support the adults who are about to teach these skills to kids to be those role models. So we spend the first year on adult development. Then we move to child development. And what we're showing in our research is that actually the first year we find teachers are less stressed, a little bit happier. Um, and then the second year we find that that it, it then impacts the students. So um, just as we would expect that helping teachers develop their emotional intelligence helps themselves, but also helps them to help kids. And, and what about the parents? That is the other part of the equation that you were describing on your own experience. Yeah. Um, I think it, it should be required training for parents personally. But um, since I'm not able to mandate it, um, what we've done is help schools and we give them the resources to work with families. I think the most positive model is actually the kids themselves teaching their parents, mm. right? Because it's very hard to get parents to come to workshops. They're busy, they're tired. So why not make students the teachers of their parents? So we created a curriculum to help the students be those teachers. Interesting. So you're doing like a in inverted coaching or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Well, because eventually the students are going to be so much more skilled than their parents are. Right, the kids' vocabulary is going to be better. Their knowledge of effective strategies to regulate is better. Also, as you know, um, teaching is a great way to learn. So learn it and then teach it to your parent. And therefore, you can even become more adept. Exactly. So I will ask you um, a last question. And uh, as, a, as an abused child and been working your life to, in, in this and dedicated your life in this, What is your dream of the next 10 years, how the schools will be in the following 10 years? Well, I think that we have to redefine what it means to have a successful education, meaning that right now the criteria is fully academic, right? It's about grades, it's about test scores. And if we continue to have that model, then we're going to continue to develop kids who are only going to be in the mode of learning to achieve an academic outcome. 
when you ask a child, when you ask a parent, what do you hope for for your child when they're 25, when they're 30? They never say, I hope they had perfect test scores. Right? They say, I want my child to have purpose and passion. I want my child to be happy. Happy. To have a good relationship, right? To be able to love someone and be loved. Well, then why are we not developing any of the mm-hmm. skills that are going to help people do that? Intentionally. Exactly. Um, so I think we have to broaden our definition of what it means to be a successful individual, to um, being a good decision maker, to having positive relationships, to um, having well-being. And when we do that, then maybe what we do downstream right, in our education system will change. And um, hopefully that will, A, decrease the amount of stress and anxiety in our nation, um, and B, you know, help all students develop the skills they need to get through life. Very interesting. So I will summarize it in business uh, language that you have to change your KPIs. And then exactly. you do what you have to do to obtain those results. 100%. Right, if our KPIs are strictly about you know, financial ones um, and products and not about the people, then we are um, being very self-serving you know, in terms of you know, at a company level, right? Just to, you know, to make more money. Um, if that's your outcome that you only care about, then um, my hunch, however, is that if you care about the people more, the bottom line actually will grow bigger. Very interesting. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Mark, for this uh, eye-opening uh, conference for me. My pleasure. About my own feelings, <laughs> by the way, and about the things that we have to do in education. Thank you. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast. Thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Edutrends producer, Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. Post-production, Max Perez. Stay tuned for the next episode of Edutrends. And visit Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content. <laughs>